Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Hosanna. My name is Julia Holtz, and I am so glad to be here. I hope you are as well. I want to welcome those of you at our other campuses, as well as those of you who are on, watching us online, either now or later. No matter where you are, you are in the right place. We believe the Lord led you here, and God is up to good things, and so it is good to be together. Now, before I bring you my message, which I am chomping at the bit to bring you, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward to receive today's tithes and offerings. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. We're in this series called Miracles. And I thought, you know, one of the most amazing miracles to me is that for thousands of years, God has used ordinary people, he calls his church, people who give, people who serve, people who pray, to touch the world, to impact the world for his kingdom, to impact not only for today, but for generations and for eternity. So I just want to say, well done, church. I am so glad to be part of a group of people who give generously because we know that God takes that and he uses it to multiply in ways that we couldn't even imagine. So thank you for your giving. So like I said, we're in a series called Miracles. I sure hope you are enjoying it and being challenged by it as much as I am. I am loving this series. Um, I've heard a couple of claps already. We, uh, we, I feel like we are putting together a puzzle that, that each week we have tackled the topic of miracles from different directions. Do they happen? And, and what, are the, what are the circumstances that allow them to happen? Also, what do we do when they don't happen? And, and we're putting together this incredible pu- puzzle that I believe is giving people hope, but it's also challenging us to believe bigger. If you haven't seen some of these messages, go back and watch them. They've been a pow- it's been a powerful series. But, you know, on top of miracles, we're also seeing something bigger. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, We are looking at seven miracles that are found in the book of John. And John handpicked these seven miracles. And, And what I think is interesting is that John, unlike the other books that talk about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is the one who calls them signs. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all call them miracles and they talk about all different ones. But John handpicked these seven and he called them signs. Why? Because signs point to something. Signs point to something. Take a look with me at our theme verse that is in John chapter 20. And it says this. It'll explain what they point to. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So in addition to the seven that he indicated. But these are written, these seven are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And so see, we have been saying that we're taking on these miracles. We are studying them, believing in miracles, believing we will see increasing miracles at Hosanna and beyond. But we see the miracles because they are signs that build our belief in Jesus Christ And as our faith grows in Jesus, we begin to experience more of the life that Jesus promised to us. And what I love, I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, this isn't just a a linear trajectory. This is actually more of a cycle that I think we do our whole lives. 
We, we believe in miracles. We begin to taste and experience miracles. We then believe bigger in who Jesus is. We have a, more, a bigger understanding of him. As our faith grows, we then experience more of his life. And that comes from an increasing understanding of his presence. Well, guess what comes from that? More miracles. Our eyes are open to more miracles. And we believe Jesus bigger. And then we experience more life. And this goes on for the rest of our lives. This is what this series is about. Oh, yes, it's about miracles. We believe in miracles, but far more important, we are believing in them as signs that show who Jesus is. The very first week, Pastor Ryan had us pray together a very bold prayer that we have been praying off and on throughout this series. And it is a prayer where we are asking God together to open our eyes to see him, to see his movement around us. And the ultimate reason is so that we will believe more in Jesus. So I want to do that this morning. We're going to put the prayer up on the screens. And could we all pray this boldly, that we are going to believe that God is going to move. Let's pray this together. God of all creation, open our eyes to see your miraculous power at work today. Both what you are already doing as well as what you are about to do. Give us bold and expectant hearts to ask for your supernatural activity to take place in the natural course of our lives and our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think I'm ready to tell you about a miracle. We are going to look today at a miracle that it's a story that I have loved since I was a little girl. But I will be honest that, that as a preacher, I entered into it with a little bit of trepidation. It's, it's a mystical, kind of weird miracle. And so I thought, what am I going to do with this? Well, I'm so excited to tell you what God's been teaching me. We are going to talk about the miracle of when Jesus walked on water. When Jesus walked on water. If you're, you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 16. I'll have it up on the screens as well. But before I dive into it, let me tell you the context. It's always so important when we study the word of God to not just pluck something out of the middle of the Bible, but to actually look at what's going on around it. It shows us a lot more. So let me tell you what's going on. Jesus, at this time of this miracle, had been traveling throughout Israel for a little over two years. He was on the, on the second half of his ministry. And so by this point, he had crowds of people following him. And uh, it's interesting, right at the beginning of John chapter 6, there's a sentence that's easy to just kind of pass over and throw away, but I want to point it out to you. What John chapter 6 verse 1 says, John says that Jesus had gone across the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Okay, that doesn't sound like a big deal. I'm going to come back to it later. But I want you to see that, boy, the word of God is so rich. We could spend our whole life studying it, and we will keep finding deeper and deeper nuggets. And so I think John very intentionally told us that Jesus was going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus then goes up on a hillside, and he begins to, he has his disciples with him, and the crowds come all around him. And this is the story where Jesus then went and fed the multitudes with just a few fish and some loaves of bread. I'm not going to tell you much more about that one because you've got to come back in a couple weeks to hear that one. We're going to tackle that in, I think, two weeks or so. 
So Jesus feeds them, and it says at the end of this sign, at the end of this miracle, that the people are amazed by him, and they believe he is a great prophet. And it says that Jesus, knowing that they were about to make him king by force, slips away to the hills by himself. See, Jesus won't be made king by force. He will not follow somebody else's agenda. Jesus follows God's agenda. And so... This is where we begin our miracle story is Jesus has now slipped away from the crowds. He is off by himself in the hillside. Starting with verse 16, it says this. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and they headed across the lake toward Capernaum. I'm going to stop there for a minute. See, they wanted to head over to Capernaum because Capernaum was kind of the home base of their ministry. And, and some people give the disciples a hard time for, for going on not waiting for Jesus. I actually read this and I thought, you know, they were probably thinking, you know, Jesus, he's probably run into some woman at a well or something. We're just going to go on ahead. He'll meet us there at some point. The Lake of Galilee, it, it's not a big one. It's about 12 miles long and seven miles wide. And so it was a portion that he'd have, walk, have to walk around. We'll just go on ahead. We'll meet him at home base. We'll take the easy path. We'll go on the boat across the lake. Well, we're going to discover that the easy path isn't always the best path. But that's where they're headed to Capernaum. It says, soon... A gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles. I want to stop here again, because I need you to picture this with me. See, I was on the Sea of Galilee about a year and a half ago. It was absolutely beautiful. We took a boat. We stopped right in the middle. Beautiful day. Could see the shore all the way around. Blue sky, absolutely peaceful. This is not what they experienced. See, a strong gale, a a storm, a wind often could come out unexpectedly over the bluffs right down onto the Sea of Galilee. And it would take anybody on that sea off guard. And the Bible says they had rowed three or four miles. And so that means they were somewhere right in the middle of the lake. Matthew tells us that they had been rowing for hours. So I want you to picture this, feel this with me. These disciples were in a boat, sailed down. They are rowing the best they can for hours. They are exhausted. Now, on top of this, they're they're probably confused. With a storm like this, you can't see the the side, the, the, the shore. So they're probably like, we don't even know where we're going. Are we heading toward Capernaum? Where are we? If they tried to look up at the stars, they still wouldn't have been able to tell where they were. So they would have been confused, exhausted. And they also would have been very afraid. See, they knew right underneath them were many fishermen who didn't make it. See, this kind of a storm, the the waves could crash over the boat and take them down. So they were in survival mode. They were near death in their minds. This is the place they are. I wonder if anybody here can relate to that. See, storms come in all shapes and sizes, and they can hit us out of nowhere. Storms like unexpected divorce, broken relationships, loss of a job, financial uncertainty, just not knowing where to turn. And they can leave us exhausted and fearful and confused. 
If that's you, stick with me. Hope is on its way. So they had rowed three or four miles middle of the lake when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified. Now, don't you think that's funny? Why would they be terrified? Matthew tells us that they were terrified because they thought they were seeing a ghost. See, they didn't expect to see Jesus there. Why? It doesn't even indicate that they were calling for him or they were even looking to God. They were just focusing on what they needed to do to survive. And now they're starting to see ghosts because they're so near death, the spiritual realm is coming to get them. That's what's on their mind. So they were terrified, but guess what? Jesus, he called out to them, don't be afraid. I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Immediately, they went from the middle of the lake to the shore. Quite a miracle. Quite a miracle. Okay, first we've got Jesus walking on the water in the middle of a storm. We don't know if he's walking like it's cement, or if he's like having fun stepping over the, the, the waves. But we do know he's not intimidated by this storm. He's just walking in the middle of it. But then he gets in the boat and they are immediately brought to shore. What do we do with this miracle? You know, I think in the past when I have read it, I've thought, well, does this mean that we can walk on water? See, Jesus said we will do even greater things than he did. So does that mean we can walk on water? Is that what we're supposed to start to think about? I I thought about bringing a hot tub. (laughs) and being a woman of faith and asking everybody to just pray and believe and and to try it. Aren't you glad I didn't? I think I would have sunk to the bottom pretty quick because guess what? That is not the point of this miracle, of this sign. Remember, the miracles are signs that point to Jesus. Jesus is not just doing circus acts to get us to be excited. No, the signs are telling us something about Jesus. So we need to ask, what does this tell us about Jesus? This is one of those moments that I wish I could put all of us in a time machine together and we could go back. And what's interesting is I wouldn't necessarily go back to being in the boat, although that would be really fun. I would actually want to go back and sit with the people, the Jewish people in the first century, whether they were hearing this story the day after or 10 or 20 years later. And I would want to see their reactions. See, we read these miracles, these signs through our 21st century lens. And so we look at it and we wonder, well, Jesus, did he really do that? It it seems kind of crazy. and, And could we do that? But I think if we said that to them in the back in the first century, they'd go, what are you talking about? See, they look at these stories through their lens that is of their entire heritage. They know the Old Testament stories. And as they begin to hear this, it begins to reveal things to them that they could not have comprehended. And they would go, do you know what this is saying? Let me tell you a couple of the things that I saw as I studied what the first century Jewish people would have thought when they heard this. Here's the first one. When they heard that Jesus was walking on the water, they would have stopped and they would have thought, wait a minute. Okay, there were many godly men in our heritage. 
many of our ancestors. There were four of them specifically who were known as mighty men of God who had God's favor on them and they were all able to part water. People like Moses, people like Joshua, um, Elijah, Elisha, those were the four that actually the power of God came through them and they were able to part water. And that was an amazing miracle. But they would have sat there and thought, but wait a minute, there was only one who walked on water and it was God himself. You have to hear this in Job chapter nine. This is just one of many verses like this, but it says this, he alone, God alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. So they would have heard this story and they would have gone, wait a minute, are you, is this saying Jesus, Jesus is God? Jesus is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God. This would have blown their minds. Now, in case they missed it, Jesus gave them another hint. Do you remember when Jesus said, don't be afraid, I am here. The actual translation in the Greek and the Aramaic was, don't be afraid, I am. Any of you who know the Old Testament, you know that God called himself, the name he gave himself was I am. So as Jesus is walking on this water, he is proclaiming to everyone willing to listen that he is God, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know about you, but that makes a big difference in my life. I love knowing that Jesus calls me friend. The Bible says that, that we, have a, we can have a relationship with him that is intimate. But you know what? When I'm in the middle of the storm, I want to remember that Jesus is God, that it is Emmanuel, God with me in the storm, that the God who has everything I could possibly need is with me. And see, we can be distracted by the storm and not even recognize him. But everything changes when we recognize that Jesus is God and he is with us in the storm. That's the first thing this sign points to. Let's get back in our time machine for a minute. And let's talk about the sea. See, to the first century Jewish people, the sea represented chaos and evil. It represented the spiritual realm that they had no control over and the evil within it. There's all sorts of stories in the Old Testament of, of beasts coming up, dreams of beasts coming up out of the sea. And so they were not seafaring people. So to them, it represented the rulers, the powers in the spiritual realm that were against them. Now on top of this, do you remember that John told us that this is not only called the Sea of Galilee, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Let me tell you where that comes from. At the time of Jesus, there was a wicked king of the Jews named King Herod. And King Herod, he didn't care much for the people, the Jewish people. He was more worried about pleasing the Roman, uh, Roman rulers. So King Herod had a city built on the side of the Sea of Galilee called Tiberius, named after Tiberius Caesar, the leader, the king of the Roman Empire. And then he even had the audacity to start to call the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberius in order to please this Roman king. 
So to the Jewish people, everywhere they turned, there were kings that were wicked, kings that were oppressive, that were out for themselves, kings that ran kingdoms that had winners and losers where you either would sink or you would swim. That's all they knew of those kinds of kings. But here comes Jesus walking on top of the water. Why? Because every one of those kings whether it's in the spiritual realm or the natural realm, are under his feet. Can I hear an amen to that? (laughs) Yes, Jesus is king. Not just any king, but the king of kings. He is over all. And he is not a king that is oppressive. He is a good king. And a king that has a kingdom of love. And not a kingdom with winners and losers, but a kingdom of believers. Believers, not perfect people who have it all figured out, but ones who hold on to him and bring his love into the world. And he promises that he will have victory over all. And someday every king will bow to him. I just got to tell you, there are times that I look out at our world and I can get discouraged I can get overwhelmed. I can see things going on in countries where there are wicked rulers who are oppressing people. Uh, I, I can look at our own country and feel a sense of chaos with the polarity that's going on. I'm not making any kind of a political statement. I'm just talking what we see in the chaos that we can feel with all the differing views. And so I can get overwhelmed by that storm. But then I have to stop. And I lift my eyes and I remember, Jesus, you are king and you are my king and you will have victory and I will choose to trust you. Now show me how to bring your kingdom of love into this world. See, Jesus is king, not just any king, but the king of kings. That's the second thing that our second point that our sign points to. Now, lastly, I want you to remember our sweet disciples in the middle of the storm. They are rowing and rowing and rowing, exhausted, near death. And I want you to picture this with me. And all of a sudden, they recognize that they are not alone, that Jesus is with them in the storm. And can't you just picture them them in that moment, just dropping the oars (laughs) and just hurrying and saying, yes, come into the boat with me. And when Jesus gets in that boat, he immediately moves them from near death, near just survival, to life on the shore. And what does this tell us? This tells us that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the one. He doesn't just walk outside on the water. He comes with us into the boat in the middle of the storm. And he moves us from death to life. This happens today. This happens in our current circumstances as we drop the oars, as we welcome him in, as we recognize him with us. And he moves us, sometimes immediately, sometimes it's over time. But he moves us from death to life. And ultimately, we can know that when we are facing death in our last days in life as we know it here, that he will usher us immediately from death to life. See, Jesus is Savior. 
This is what this sign is pointing to. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Jesus is savior. And one of the things that I love that happens after Jesus dies and he rises again is that the disciples begin to call him something else that brings all of these terms together. They begin to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Thomas, when he saw Jesus and the scars in his hand and he had risen from the dead, he said, my Lord and my God. And this was not just a a term of honor. This was a profound statement about what they believed about the world and who Jesus is and about who Jesus is in their life. They were saying, Jesus, you are not just a God, you are the God and you are my God. Jesus, you are not just a king, you are the king of kings and you are my king. Jesus, you are not just a savior, you are the savior of the world and you are my savior. Jesus, you are Lord and I give all authority to you and I submit my entire life to you. And they began to walk in life like they had never known it before. This is what the miracle of Jesus walking on water is pointing us to. It is not the question, well, can we walk on water? That'd be pretty cool. Oh no, it's far bigger than that. It's what do you believe in the middle of the storm? Who do you believe in the middle of the storm? And what do you believe about Jesus? He's calling all of us to know him and see him as Lord and to discover him as life like we've never known it before. Each week, we have been telling a miracle story. And I am so excited to share this one with you. I want to share a story about a dear friend of mine, Becky Potter. She is a brave and beautiful woman who has impacted my life. And uh, Becky found herself nine years ago in the middle of a storm. Let's put up the picture. This is a picture of her nine years ago. And let me tell you about the storm that she was in. There was a lot of chaos. First of all, she worked for the construction industry. And any of you who can remember back nine, ten years, we were in the middle of a recession, weren't we? And so Becky, who was the financial person for this construction company, found work so stressful. She did not know what the future looked like financially for the company, let alone her own life. So work was tremendously stressful. Many of her relationships, particularly with her family, were strained and even broken, cut off. Becky stopped taking care of herself at that time. She was so focused on the stress and everything going on. And, and she, she got more and more out of shape so that physical activity exhausted her. And what this ended up doing is it caused her to stay away from friends because she was embarrassed. She didn't know if they said, you want to go for a walk? She didn't know if she'd be able to walk with them. And, and so Becky became increasingly isolated in her storm. Now, on the outside, Becky said she was seen as rough and tough. She didn't need anyone. She was always in control. But on the inside, she hated herself. Every day was simply about survival. And actually, death looked more appealing than life. So Becky daily turned to alcohol to cope with what seemed like a life that was just a disaster. That was her coping mechanism. At one point, there was, she had a friend who took the time to get to know her in the middle of the storm. 
And this friend invited her to come to her church. Now, the funny thing about this is Becky had gone to church most of her life. She believed in God. Um, to her, church was, was more about kind of the people she hung out with. Um, but she said she mocked those big kind of churches, you know, the ones where they talk about Jesus in this personal way. And, oh, for heaven's sakes, they even raise their hands when they're singing. How weird is that? Okay, so Becky mocked all that. But for some reason, she said yes. And she found herself sitting in the middle of the very kind of church that she had mocked. And as she sat there, she said with a big chip on her shoulder, she began to notice some things. She began to notice that the the messages spoke to her. She kept coming back. They talked about Jesus in your life in in a personal way, and they gave her hope. She said she often cried, and then she said, now remember, I didn't have emotions at that time, but she sat and cried. She said, each week, people genuinely seemed glad to see her. And she, they would remember her name. She said, everything just felt so different. It was rocking her beliefs about Jesus, about community, about church. What is this that I'm experiencing? She said, it was very disorienting. The feelings were horrible and wonderful and scary, but oh, so good. A couple months into her visits, she decided to go and visit with a pastor. And she said she met in his office and began to just spill her guts about all the disasters going on, the poor decisions she had made, all the different things she held. It didn't hold anything back. And as he sat and listened to her, he just quietly then said, you know what, there's a different way. There's a different way. And he began to talk to her about a real relationship with Jesus Christ, that Emmanuel, Jesus, is with her and about surrendering her control and trusting her life to Jesus Christ. In his office, she did just that. Now, not because she felt forced or coerced or manipulated. She said it was because this concept, this idea of a relationship with a living God compelled her. The whole concept amazed her. She said, even though I was a disaster, Jesus still loved me. And she said, that was perhaps the hardest part to accept, yet the most miraculous part of it all. He loves me, and he still keeps loving me, even when I make mistakes again. How crazy is that? That's what she said to me. So Becky surrendered that day to Jesus Christ, and she began walking forward. Now, I wish I could tell you that she immediately was brought to shore and everything was easy. It wasn't easy. But has she seen miracles? Yes. A couple weeks after her visit with the pastor, she was drinking heavily again one night. And all of a sudden she thought, I can't keep doing this. People say there is a different way to live and I want it. She recognized she had a problem with alcohol and she needed something bigger than herself. And so she turned again to Jesus. Two days later, she walked in to celebrate recovery to get help for her drinking. And I will tell you one of the greatest miracles is that Becky has now been sober for nine years. She has never taken a drink again. Yeah, we can clap for that. Any of you who know addictions, you know what a miracle that is. Again, not easy, but she said she could not have done it without Jesus. God's presence and his promises would regularly remind her, I am not alone. He is with me in the storm. Many miracles continue to happen, and often they came through people. 
People would show up and they would say something to her that they could not have known that she needed to hear. She said, people became Jesus with skin on. Miracle after miracle after miracle, just someone showing up right at the moment she needed it. More miracles. As she experienced a relationship of love with Jesus, she began to love and like herself. And this changed everything. She began to care for herself and get healthy. Let's throw this picture up here. This is Becky after a half marathon. Remember, this was a woman who didn't even want to go for a walk with friends. This is after her half marathon. She has now run seven half marathons. And let's put up the next picture. This next one is of her because she's now climbed several mountains. Becky began to feel life in her body again. But here's one of the most beautiful ones. As she got more comfortable in her own skin, she discovered she was able to love others in a new way through Jesus Christ. And her relationship with her family has been restored. Let's put that picture up. This is her family. Can you see her face in the top left? Do you see the joy in her eyes? I wish I could put it side by side with the first picture I showed you. There were no emotions in that first picture. Here, she has joy. Her family is restored. God moved Becky to Hosanna many years ago where she continued on with Celebrate Recovery, continued on in her own recovery, but then she also became a leader at Celebrate Recovery here at Hosanna. She's also been a leader of several of our courses. God's Story, Your Story is one of our core courses, but also Freedom Story. And I have to do a quick shout out because it's such a perfect tie-in. It is starting, Freedom Story is starting this afternoon at our Shakopee campus and here at Lakeville tomorrow, Monday night. It is not too late for you to sign up. Freedom Story is about overcoming the obstacles and the storms of life through Jesus Christ. So sign up and come. You don't want to miss it. But Becky's been a leader in multiple places. And now Becky is the one who shows up as Jesus with skin on, sometimes right at the moment when someone else needs it most. She's done it for me. She has become the miracle for others that can only be explained by the presence of Jesus in her life. Becky ended our conversation by saying, now as storms of life come up, I know that there is hope. I have been in the boat with Jesus and I've gotten to the shore before I will get there again. See, Becky went from survival, near death, to discovering Jesus right in the middle of the storm. He was right there with her, to surrendering her life, to finding life. Becky has experienced miracle after miracle. As she told the story, I wish you could have seen her face light up because it was as though she was realizing even more miracles than she knew. But she is a miracle. And now she is a miracle. She is the sign that points to Jesus. I want to ask you today, where are you? Maybe some of you are in the middle of a big storm. Maybe some of you are in the middle of a a little storm. It doesn't matter. My prayer for every single person is that you will see Jesus walking on the water right towards you. He's right there, Emmanuel, God with us, that you will drop the oars. You will let him into your life and you will say, yes, Jesus, be Lord of my life. We can do that right away today.
I'm going to close in prayer. And um, I'm going to live just a moment of silence in it and to allow you to pray whatever is stirring in your heart. Maybe it's the very first time you are wanting to surrender to this good king. And go ahead. (laughs) Maybe it's the thousandth time. Becky did it many times. I do it many times. But let's proclaim Jesus as Lord of our lives together. And then after I pray, we will sing a song called Raise a Hallelujah. And this is about standing in the middle of the storm and believing that Jesus is greater than the storm, greater than our circumstances. And so I just invite you to sing it, whether you're at home, in your living room, in your pajamas, or right here, that you will sing it at the top of your lungs. And let's proclaim Jesus as Lord by singing hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us. Lord, sometimes we can't see you and, and the storm overwhelms us. I just pray right now for anybody that is in the middle of a storm, Lord, that, that they will see you walking on the water to them. Lord, show us that you're here because you are. Help us to believe and trust you. But Lord, for all of us, help us to drop the oars. It's so exhausting and to welcome you into the boat and to discover life. As I'm quiet, Lord, just hear the stirrings of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. You are God. You are King. You are Savior. And you are Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.